0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Well, today is the first day in our brand new series called For, F-O-R. And if you were with us last weekend at the block party, then that makes sense to you. Um, But if you were not here with us at the block party or perhaps if you were outside working so that at precisely the moment I sent all of you outside, you were ready to be rained on, right? Then maybe, uh, maybe you're here today and you're wondering if this is some kind of a golf thing or something like that. And no, this is not that. Instead, um, what we're doing is we're talking about what it is that we as the church, what is it that we as the church of Jesus, what is it that we are for? Because as you all know, right, it's just so easy, um, it's so easy for all of us in our world today. Um, just to talk about and think about what it is that we're against, and yet the truth is, what our communities need, what our neighbors need, and most of all, what people who are not followers of Jesus, what they need to know is what it is that we, as the church, what is it that we are actually for, right? Because one of the most amazing things that we actually believe as followers of Jesus, one of the most incredible things we believe, is that God, He actually cares about everybody, right? Even if they don't care about him, that God, he actually cares about everyone, even if they don't care about him. Right? That is an incredible, incredible statement. And if I were to ask you, and if I were to say to you this morning, if you believe that that's true, right, and my hope is, is that everyone that's here today, that you would all say that that is true and that you do believe that. But see, if I were to ask you the question of of why, I mean, why do you think that that's actually true? Why do you believe that God does actually care? Why should we care? Why should we be generous? Why should we be compassionate towards other, other people? And, and again, who has time to think about stuff like this, right? Because you're all busy people and you have real lives and real jobs. Um, but see, people like me, we actually sit around all day and we think about stuff like this. Right, so if I were to say to you, "Why should you care? Why should you be compassionate? Why should you be generous?" You might say, "Because it's you know it's just like the humanitarian thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Um, it's what people should do. It makes me feel good on the inside." Right? There's all kinds of, of different reasons that you might say um, that we should behave that way. And yet, the, the truth is, the truth is, um, being generous, right? Being com- kind, being compassionate. Those things are in no way natural. Right? That's not a natural thing. Um, that's not the reason you're generous, the reason you're kind, the reason that you care about other people. Um, you, you have been taught that, right? Because what's natural in our world um, is the exact opposite. What's natural in our world is actually um, what Autumn and I, what we used to refer to when we were raising our kids um, as the toddler creed. Because what's natural, natural is toddler world, right? And all of you who are parents, you actually know what the toddler creed is. Um, because the toddler creed just simply goes like this. What's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. Amen. Right? That's natural. Every parent of a toddler, right, you've never had to say to your kids when they were growing up, hey, you know what? You need to just stop sharing so much. You need to really rein that in a little bit, have a little bit more ownership over your things. Right? You've never had to say that to your kids, and neither did we, right? Because, because the truth is we're just all, we're just all kind of naturally selfish we actually learn to be generous we actually learn to be compassionate right that value that virtue is in no way natural that's something that you're actually taught and it comes specifically it comes specifically from the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of of scripture in fact when Jesus was on this earth and when he began to teach and to talk about what you and I today would think of as just generosity Right, Just general generosity. What Jesus said and what he did was just so radically different than what the culture of his world and of his day was used to. Um, The truth is, it is amazing it ever even made it out of the first century. And yet the reality of our world today is that what Jesus taught and what he did has impacted what we would think of as Western civilization in such a way that you and I, in the United States of America, that we are a generous people, and and we are a generous people because we believe being generous is good, and the foundation for that entire belief, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you're even a theist or not, the foundation of that entire belief is actually the teachings of Jesus And what it is that Jesus tells us in the Bible. Because as those of you who have traveled around our world know, it is just not like this everywhere. And in fact, the truth is, it has not always been this way anywhere. And the teachings and the the reason that is the way it is, the reason this is the way it is in our world today is because of the teachings of Jesus. And in many ways, in many ways, the entire teaching of generosity and compassion in the whole New Testament, it can be summed up in one simple statement. That God's extravagant generosity towards us is what actually compels each one of us to be extravagantly generous towards other people. That it's God's extravagant generosity towards us that compels us. We don't do this because it's, we're nice. We don't do this because it makes us feel good. It's actually God's generosity towards us, what he has done towards us through Jesus, that compels us to be generous. To other people. In fact, the driving force, right, the driving force behind all of what we might think of or call um, Christian behavior or Christian virtue or values or any of that stuff, right, it's not just being a good person, it's not about being nice, it's not any of those things. But our generosity, our compassion, our kindness, all of that should be a response, the New Testament says, to what it is that God has actually done for each one of us through. Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul, who we talked a little bit about last week at the block party, he teaches this, he tells us this, and he explains this to us in a very interesting way in a little letter that he wrote to the people living in the city of Philippi. It's on page 1827 in the Bibles that are either in front of you or behind you. If you open that up, we're going to look at uh, Philippians chapter 2 for a couple of moments today. We're going to read a couple of things the Apostle Paul writes to these people. In Philippi, we're going to begin reading in verse number 3, and the Apostle Paul, he says these words. He says, do nothing, do absolutely nothing, he says, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but, in other words, in contrast to all of that. He says, but in humility, consider others better or above yourselves, which we hear that and we're thinking, okay, I'm just not going to do that, right? I mean, it's like, who actually does this? I mean, nobody does this. It doesn't even make sense. It's like, Paul, are you really telling me I'm supposed to live as if everybody is more valuable than me? It's like, Paul, do you not understand? I already have issues with self-esteem. I already have issues with self-confidence. Now you're saying to me that I'm supposed to live as if everybody... Is more valuable than I am? And the Apostle Paul says, No, I'm not saying that other people are more valuable than you. He said, I want you to actually treat people. I want you to treat people as if they are more valuable than you are. To which maybe you're thinking, OK, who would actually do that? And to which I would tell you, listen, you've already had this done to you. And the truth is, you liked it. You enjoyed it. Because anytime you've ever been to a really nice hotel or you've ever walked through a resort, And you see somebody there, and they greet you, and they say, Good evening, sir, or good evening, ma'am. Is there anything that I can do for you today? Is there any way that I can serve you today? What can I do to make your time with us better? Right? It is my pleasure to help you. How can I serve you? Right? And as soon as you hear that immediately, what do you think? It's like, oh, I like this place. Right? If I'm ever back in this city again, this is where I'm staying. And you go back home, and you tell all your friends about what it is that you experience. Right? Because people who are in the customer service business, what they know is that if you actually treat other people as if they are more valuable than you, then they'll return. That this actually works. That people like to be treated like royalty. And isn't it true when that happens, you don't for a second, when somebody says to you, right, my pleasure, my pleasure, what can I do for you? You don't for a second think, well, I am clearly a more valuable person than they are, do you? No, well, that's not what you think. What you think is the way that you're treating me right now, it makes me feel as if I'm wanted. It makes me feel as if I matter to you. It makes me feel as if I'm important to you. And see, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, okay, fellow followers of Jesus, right, this is how I want you to actually live your life. I want you to live your life in such a way where you treat the people around you as if they are more important than you, that you actually put them ahead of yourself. And yet the truth is, that when you, whenever we hear that, right, there's just something inside of us that immediately recoils from that. And we think, okay, well, I can maybe do that sometimes for, for some people because they deserve it, or, you know, maybe if I work really hard, I can do it every once in a while for people who don't deserve it, but I just don't think I could actually do that, do this, as a lifestyle. He goes on in verse 4, he says, Everyone, each of you... You should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, let me just say this to you. If you are married today, okay, if you're here today and you're married, this single statement is a game changer in your marriage. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, this statement can change more in your marriage. This statement right here, these words right here, they could literally save you thousands of dollars and countless hours in counseling. These words right here are an absolute game changer for you. In fact, I'll make you this promise. When you start to begin to put the other person's interest ahead of your own in your marriage, I will promise you this, everything will actually begin to get better in your marriage. Students, if you're here this morning and, and you've been thinking to yourself, okay, how do I get my mom to, how do I get my dad to, how do I get my parents to, right? If you want to get them to do something for you, this is the answer right here, okay? What you do is this. It's really simple. You come home from school and you wait for your mom or your dad to come home from work and when they come home from work, you just look at them. You say, hey mom, hey dad, how was work today? And then after your parents like pass out on the floor, right? And you kind of revive them and you wake them back up and they're going to be like, I, I don't even know because you know what? Nobody's ever even asked me that question before. Because again, what do we know, right? What do we know? All of us. When somebody actually begins to show interest in the things that we're interested in and not just simply the things they are interested in, what happens in our hearts, right? Immediately, immediately we're open and we're open to their influence. Suddenly our hearts open up and we are actually open to what it is that they have to say. And so the Apostle Paul, he is reminding us, right? As followers of Jesus, he's saying, listen... We have the greatest message in the entire world. We actually have a message that begins with God has done something for you, not to you. That God actually wants something for you. He doesn't want anything from you. And so because of that, Paul says, because of that, show interest in other people in order to help influence them towards their Heavenly Father. He goes on in verse 5. He says, your attitude, right? In all of your relationships, he would tell us as followers of Jesus, your attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus. In other words, what he's saying is this. He's saying, hey, you're a follower of Jesus, right? Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't don't get it perfect all the time, right? I don't get it right all the time. I still do things that I shouldn't do. um, But yeah, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus. He says, okay. Okay, then, when it comes to how it is that you live your life, he says, I just want you to live your life. I want you to treat people the way you saw Jesus treating people. Well, how how did Jesus treat people? Well, he just put people first. He just put everybody else first. See, Paul says, this is simple. I just want you to treat people the way you see Jesus treating people. And in this one single statement, this one verse, this one simple idea, what the Apostle Paul does is he catapults all of us out of the golden rule, right? The golden rule that you learn in school, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He takes us past all that and he says, no, why would you do that? I don't, you're a follower of Jesus, don't settle for that. Don't fall for that, I don't want you to do that. Why, why would you want to just be even? Why, why would you ever settle for just being even? You're a follower of Jesus, he says, you're better than that suddenly he raises the bar and he says listen i want you to do unto others as your savior has already done to you this is what i want to be the standard of your compassion he says this is what i want to be the standard of your generosity the standard of your kindness the standard of your patience this isn't about do to them what they did to you this isn't about even do to them what you want them to do to you it's none of that it's better than all that he says The Apostle Paul actually says to all of us who are followers of Jesus, listen, we're going to be the ones to raise the standard because we are the ones who know firsthand what it is that God has actually done for us through Jesus. Then the Apostle Paul, he goes on and he he tells us and he reminds us. He says this in verse 6. He says, Jesus, right, who being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God Something to be grasped. In other words, Paul says this: he says Paul. He says Jesus. He never. He never used who he, what, he, what he had to his own advantage. Jesus never used who he was or what he had to his own advantage. Jesus never used his Jesusness. Right? He never played the Jesus card. He never played the God card. He never used who he was or what he had for his own benefit. Instead, he always used it for the sake of other people. See, what the Apostle Paul is doing in this tiny little section of Scripture is actually incredible. Because what he's doing here is he's showing us the heart of Jesus-focused ethics. Right here, that's what this is. This is the heart of Jesus-focused generosity. This is the heart of Jesus-focused compassion. And he says to us, okay, so then as a result of all that, as a result of everything I've just said, this is what I want you to do, right, practically. This is what I want you to do over in verse 12. He says, therefore, as a result of everything we've just talked about, he says, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, Therefore, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He says, not work for your salvation, okay? Don't miss that because you already have that, he would say, right? Don't miss that. You already have that. No, work out your salvation. Okay, in other words, this is, this is what he's saying. Everybody, eyes up here for just a minute, right back here. This simple statement. Paul says, allow what's true of you, actually allow that to be seen in you. He says, allow what is true of you. I'm a follower of Jesus. He says, okay, good. Then allow that to actually be seen. Work that out in such a way where it's seen, where that's noticed. Live that out in such a way where other people, they actually see that in you, and they say, hey, you know what? That is some extraordinary compassion. That is some extraordinary generosity. That is some extraordinary kindness. That is some extraordinary patience. He says, work that out, right, in fear and trembling. Not like in fear and trembling of what God might do to you if you don't. That's, that's not the context here at all, is it? No, more like in, in awe and understanding that this is really what God has done for me. It's really what God has done for you personally through Jesus. Verse 13, for he says, it is God. It's God who works in you to will and to act or to behave according to or to fulfill, he would say, his good purpose. Now, what is God's good purpose? Well, Paul actually tells us a little bit later on that it's God's purpose that every single person would be saved, that all people would be saved and actually come to a knowledge of of the truth. It's God's purpose that every single person in this world would look up and realize that there is a God who loved me and a Savior who died for me. That every single person on the planet would know that there is a God who loves me and that there is a Savior who's actually paid for my sin. And see, the Apostle Paul is telling us, listen, the thing that's going to actually open the door To other people hearing that good news, the thing that's gonna open the door for them actually to hear the good news of the gospel, right? It is the compassion, it is the generosity, it is the kindness that they experience through you, that they see in you, right? It's not gonna be how we judge them, right? The the world's never gonna find out about this because of the way we judge them. They're not gonna find out about this because of the way that we out argue them. They're not going to find out about this because because we shame them somehow or we scare them somehow. None of that, Paul says, none of that's in here. He says, no, the only way that they're going to know, the only way they're going to actually be open to hearing this great news about their heavenly father is when they actually see in you, lived out, because of what Jesus has done, extraordinary generosity, kindness, and compassion, that that would all come as a reflection of what Jesus has done for you and for me. And then as a result of all that, he says, in verse 15, when that happens, he says this, then you, which is plural, right? It's you as a group. He says, you shine like stars in the universe. A better translation says it this way. Then you shine like stars in the sky. You shine among them like stars in the sky. And the them, right, in in this context that the Apostle Paul was speaking of, that was actually his culture. And his world. And what he does in the verses leading up to verse 15 is he goes on to explain what it is the culture of his world and of his day was like. And he says, Listen, listen, you live in a culture, you live in a world that is completely self-ish. You live in a culture and a world that could not care less about widows and orphans. You live in a culture that could not care less about abandoned babies. You live in a culture that is so self-absorbed that just a little bit of unusual compassion, just a little bit of unusual, no-strings-attached generosity, that is going to get the attention of the people around you. And when that happens, you will shine like stars in the sky, he says. And see, history tells us. History actually records for us that is exactly what ended up happening in the first century church. In the first century, the church, it did not get traction around its theology. Hear me on this. Because let's just admit it for a second, right? As followers of Jesus, what we believe is a little bit strange, right? Because we believe that a man actually, physically, literally rose from the dead. In the very first century, the church did not gain traction around its theology. It wasn't its influence. It wasn't its wealth. It wasn't its power. It wasn't its giftedness. It wasn't any of those things. In the very first century, the thing that gave the church traction in its community was the extraordinary display of compassion and kindness and generosity that people saw. In the first century, the church was the safest place that a woman could ever be. In the first century a Christian marriage it was the most life-giving relationship that a woman could ever hope to experience. In the first century it was the Christians who had the greatest work ethic. It was the Christians who stayed behind to care for the sick and the dying when the plagues ravaged Europe. Because in the first century Christians they did not fear death. Because they believed that their heavenly father had actually sent his son into this world that he died to pay for their sin. And then he rose. He actually rose from the dead. It was the compassion, the generosity and the kindness of the church in the very first century that gave the church traction in its community. And somewhere along the way, we've lost some of that. And see, it's time that we actually get that back. See, this is how we, this whole idea of fork, This is how we, this is how we actually today can shine like stars within our own culture. It's how we today do just what the Apostle Paul says, and we show interest in others and not just ourselves. It's how we actually do for some others what some others are not able to do for themselves. And so this is what we're going to do. Starting in just two weeks... Uh, Some of you, many of you may have remembered this, Um, we experimented with this idea uh, a couple of years ago, two years ago, and so starting in two weeks in the gym, um, there are going to be a whole bunch of different service opportunities, mission trips, projects that you can take part in, community groups, things that you can do. That are tangible reminders and encouragement of Jesus' love for people in our community and in our world. Those things are gonna be in the gym. You can sign up to take part of them, take part in them as a single person, as a couple, as a small group with a group of friends. Right? And and I know for a lot of you what you hear and what you think of when you hear something like this, you think, I'm not ready for this, I'm not able to do this, I don't have the time for this. I, I don't think I can handle this. This is intimidating to me. This is scary to me, right? And see, the truth is this, in spite of all those things that every single one of us, we do, we all think and feel those very same things, in spite of all that, what we need a bunch of you to do is to just simply say to your Heavenly Father, listen, listen, if you really think, right, if you really think that you can do any of this through me, I mean, if you think I am of any value to you whatsoever, because after all, you're my Heavenly Father and you know me, if you think that I can help in any way share the good news of Jesus with people in our community by helping to serve them, love them, and be kind to them in some way, then I'll do what I can do, right? Which is basically just sign up and show up. Because that's pretty much the only thing I can do. I can sign up and I can show up. And signing up, just it doesn't commit you to anything. It just means that you're actually open to hearing more. That you're actually open to hearing more and honestly asking your Heavenly Father, is this what He would have you do? personally to help share the good news of jesus and reveal to people who jesus really is see this is how the church this is how the local church has grown since the very beginning this is how we today actually get to see god working changing and transforming the lives of people around us this is one of the ways that we reach the least the lost and the lonely with the good news of who Jesus really is. Now, two years ago when we did this, we heard some incredible, incredible stories from you. And I want to share with you today for just a couple of moments one of those stories. Because see, this is Cheryl, Tammy, and John. And together, Cheryl, Tammy, and John, they helped to lead the ministry at Victory Lutheran Church, which is actually the only church It's the only church on the eight square miles of what used to be the K.I. Sawyer Air Force Base in Marquette, Michigan. Now, in its day, K.I. Sawyer was actually part of Strategic Air Command, if you know what that is. And um, it was kind of a big deal. There were 7,500 people that lived and worked on that base. The Air Force, they closed the base in 1995. But today, 23 years later, 1,440 people, they still live on the grounds of the K.I. Sawyer Air Force Base. 26% of the people who live there live below the poverty line. 31% of those people are under the age of 18. And see, if the only thing that you know about the UP is Pictured Rocks, Copper Harbor, right, in the Porcupine Mountains, then maybe what you don't know about the UP is that in the UP, the rates of drug addiction and alcohol addiction, as well as the deaths that result from those things, they are 75% higher in the UP than they are anywhere else in our state and those addictions actually start younger for kids for children in the up than they do anywhere else now two years ago five families from our church they went up and they met Cheryl Tammy and John for the very first time and they got to see they got to see very up close and personal the ministry at victory and what it is that God is doing there And what they learned is that every single week, somewhere between 60 and 80 kids, they take part in the ministry at Victory. And while they're there, the kids are safe, right? They're not abused. They're not beaten. And unfortunately, that's different. That's different than what many of them actually experience in their homes. While they're with Cheryl, Tammy, and John, they're fed, they're cared for, and they actually get to hear about the love of Jesus. They're told and they're shown that Jesus loves them. And they actually experienced that love through the ministry of Cheryl, Tammy, and John. In fact, Tammy has literally given to people the shoes off of her own feet. In fact, that's why maybe you've noticed over the last couple of years, outside our children's ministry classrooms, last summer, this past summer, that's why there's buckets of boots that we collect. Because for some of those kids that Cheryl, Tammy, and John minister to, those have been the first boots that they've ever owned living as a kid up in the UP. Now, the families that have gone up there over these past two years, those families, those groups of families, those have been an incredible, incredible encouragement to the ministry of of Cheryl, Tammy, and John, because they've reminded them, they've helped to show them that God is actually bigger than the challenges that they face. That God's actually bigger than the challenges the families they are ministering to are, are facing. And that God actually does care that God is aware and that God, he really does know what's going on, that he is really there with them. It's also helped because those families from faith have helped to, to refurnish their church. In fact, those seats, those might look a little bit familiar to you. We've also helped because we've been able to raise the visibility of their ministry amongst the other churches in the Upper Peninsula so they can get additional funding from those ministries. Uh, We've helped them because we've been able to help them to get grants. We've actually helped them to write grants so they could actually receive much-needed funding and support for what it is that they do every single week taking care of these families and the kids. But see, here's the thing. This is the challenge. The organizations and the groups that like to write grants and like to give money to those things, they all like to give money directly to to the needs, which we understand, we get that, right? But here's the challenge. Nobody actually likes to give money to support the back office costs. Nobody actually likes to give money to things like heating and electricity and lighting and staffing. But without those things, there is nobody there to actually meet those needs. Now we understand that because we also are a nonprofit. And so here's what we're going to do. Because this is the situation at Victory right now. In just a little over 2 months the funding that sh- supports Cheryl, Tammy and John that's going to run out. And without them there there is nobody there to help meet all those needs. And so I want us as a church, I want us to actually help with that. And our goal, right, our goal today, my challenge to you today is actually a participation goal. Now I want every single adult that is here today to participate in this. And the good news with this is that this is not ongoing, right? This is not even monthly. This is just a one-time thing. Um, there are other churches in the area that are helping Victory right now and helping to partner with them right now. But we have a big opportunity because we are a big church, and we have a chance to make a big impact in their ministry and give them a big show of support and a big boost in what it is that they are doing. And so, what I'm doing is I am asking every single adult that's here today for a one-time gift of $1,995. That's right, for just one easy payment of $1,995, you too can change the world. Right? You can change the world. Now, you can give more money if you want. I'm not going to stop you from doing that. But I want to keep the cost low. Okay, I want to keep the cost low because, again, the, the goal here, hear me on this. This really matters. The goal here is not just to raise a bunch of money. I know we can do that. You have done that so many times. You all are so ridiculously generous. The goal here is actually a participation goal. I want every single adult that's here to do this, because collectively, if we do this, if we all contribute our 1995, right, then at the end of this five-week series that we're in, we're going to raise more than $20,000, and that's going to support Cheryl, Tammy, and John for over a year, for over a year at Victory. And we can do that in a day. We can do that today. We can do that this weekend. And I want everybody to play, right? There's no shipping charge. There's no handling charge. Everything that comes in, we give it all away. It's all going to them, right? We don't take any of it. And please hear me on this. They have not asked us for anything. Cheryl, Tammy, and John, Victory, they don't even have any idea we're doing this. So please, let's just keep this our little secret. Don't tell anybody, right? Don't let them know. They have not asked us for this. And they're not expecting this. And see, the bottom line is this, right? The bottom line is this. This is what we are supposed to do as followers of Jesus, and this is something that we can do as his church. We can do this together. Now, we're going to be in this series together for five more weeks, and so you can give your $19.95 for victory today. You can do it at the end of the service, cash or check, put it in the basket. No, you're not getting your nickel back. Put a $20 bill in there. It'll be fine. You can do it on your way out, you can do it on the website, you can do it on the app, you can do it electronically, you can do it on four easy payments of $4.99 each. I don't care, but I think most of you you can knock this out today, right? And here's the part I love with all this, and then we'll wrap this up. When you do this, when you participate in this, right, you get credit in heaven. Just think about that for a minute. But see, the church, the church actually gets credit in the community. And let me tell you why this matters so much. This is why this is such a big deal. Because everybody in the United States of America, every single person, they think something when they hear the word church. You know what they should think? I don't know if I believe what they believe. I don't know if I buy all of that. But i got to tell you, those are the most compassionate Those are the most generous. Those are the most for-me people in our community. I don't know if I ever want to go to church. I don't know if I want to be a part of the church. But I am so glad that there is actually a church in my backyard because they make our community better. Those crazy church people, those crazy Jesus-following church people, they actually make our community and our neighborhoods better. Because the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was right. And see, when we get this right, then we shine like stars in the sky. Not for the sake of drawing attention to ourselves, not at all. But for the sake of our Heavenly Father who loves everyone and who sent his son Jesus to die for everyone. To reconcile them, right? To bring them into a relationship with himself. That's why we do this. That's why we're here, right? This is a big, big deal, And we can do this. You can do this. We can do this together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Father, thank you so much for always, always putting our interests ahead of your own. Father, thank you for your unending, unending generosity and compassion, your kindness things, Father, that we certainly do not deserve from you. And Father, my prayer for us as a church and for every single one of us individually over these next several weeks as we're talking about this together is that we would in no way take any of this lightly, that we would hear your voice calling us to something, that as a church and as people individually and corporately that that in some miraculous, incredible way, that somehow because of what it is that you have done for us and in us through Jesus, That when people actually see us, they wouldn't see us. They would see you. They would see your son. And they would come face to face with the love of a heavenly father. And Father, we know that for all of us, it just takes a couple of minutes. And we can think about all the times that we didn't do all these things. All the times where we wished we would have, and yet we didn't so, Father, it's in these next few moments that I ask that you would hear us as we personally and silently, as we confess our sin to you. Father, the good news of the gospel is that your love for us, it never runs out. The grace that you give to us, it never dries up. That, Father, despite our repeated failures, despite our repeated sin, despite our repeated hard-heartedness towards you, you continue to pursue us, and you love us, and you give to us your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness each and every day, that we would know who you are as our Heavenly Father. And so the good news of the gospel is that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is your Savior, your sin, it is truly forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.